I, uh, years ago, we did a church play. My wife wrote it based on her dad's uh, conversion. He was an alcoholic. And my wife's older brother went out uh, in Okinawa, Japan, to a transformer, walked in, and was fried, electrocuted, and killed. And that caused them to be saved. And I played my father-in-law in this play, and I was a drunk. And we took uh, Diet Coke, and we put Budweiser cans and put them over the Diet Coke. And I was getting tired of Diet Coke by the end of that play, but my voice was raspy just like it is today, and believe it or not, you know how God's sovereign, the raspy voice helped me to play the character better, and a man came forward, it was in the newspaper years later, came forward and had been an alcoholic all his life, and came forward and seeing the play and got saved, never drank again. After church, he was out sitting on the ground in the parking lot, he was sick to his stomach, it's almost like God just delivered him from alcoholism. And his wife wrote an article years later how he never, ever touched another drop of water, of water, of beer, beer. Well, it was like water to him. Uh, I thought this was funny. As I already told you, I'll be gone next Sunday. But, and so I think I already announced that. I, I wrote some things down here to say and I already said that. Uh, the preacher and the choir director were not getting along, and the rift was beginning to affect the worship. One week, the preacher preached on commitment and how we should dedicate ourselves to service, and the director led the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. <laughs> the next Sunday, the preacher preached on giving and how we should gladly give tithes and offerings to the work of the Lord, and then the choir director led the song, Jesus Paid It All. The next Sunday, the preacher preached on gossiping and how sinful it is, and the choir director then led the song, I Love to Tell the Story. Disgusted, the preacher told the congregation next Sunday he was considering resigning. Then the director led in the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? <laughs> and a few weeks later, he did resign. He told the church that Jesus had led him there and Jesus was taking him away. And the choir director led, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> I thought that was cute. Oh, well, laughs are good. We're looking at Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Exodus chapter 9, today, when you find that, we'll read it, but a few things to say as we introduce our text. The third, the sixth, and the ninth plague were given without any warning. So this is one of those, the sixth plague. Uh, Pharaoh wasn't warned this time. F.C. Cook, a writer, uh, writes a great commentary set. He said that the, an Egyptian calendar discovered from way back then actually had reference to this having happened. Again, we see these gods of Egypt, which are really just demons, aren't they? They're not literal gods. There's only one God, the true God. These are all false gods. You can call them that. But they're, again, humiliated. They had a God of pestilence, a God of disease, a God of healing, a God of chaos, a God of heaven. And, and, and this plague would just humiliate all these gods. And the purpose was to point out that Jesus Christ, uh, our God, one true God, Yahweh, is the only true God. They didn't know his name was Jesus. I want to clarify that. On the screen, you can see Revelation chapter 16, verse 2. Is it, did we get them? Okay, great. I think it's up there. Is it up there? Well, there it is. And we know that in the last days, there's going to be a grievous sore on all the people who took the mark of the beast. Uh, Carl McIntyre, who invented the microchip that uh, has the 18 numbers, he didn't invent it for the mark of the beast, but... You need to think of three sets of six and, and maybe the 18 numbers where they'd put this chip in your hand so you could buy your groceries. There won't be money. Money will fail. But there's, the Bible uh, tells us in Revelation 16 too that that 
thing will be dealt with by God and everyone's going to have a grievous sore on their skin. And, and we think about that being another plague someday. And this plague here didn't affect the, Egypt, uh, the Israelites. It did affect the Egyptians. It didn't seem to affect Pharaoh. He didn't seem affected by this. And Psalm 91 talks about deliverance from pestilence. And you know, uh, we, we sometimes incorrectly teach that we're always delivered as Christians from disease and pestilence. We're not. There are times we are. In this case, Israel was delivered, protected. But some falsely teach that if you're sick, it's of the devil. Of course, I got a problem this morning having this raspiness, sickness, that I'm of the devil. And that's not a correct teaching either. We know that Scripture also teaches sickness can be a result of sin, but it's not always the case. And so we understand that good things happen, uh, God, uh, bad things happen to good people. And so the purpose of this plague is clear, to show Egypt that there's one true God. Let's look at these verses with me. If you have those, stand with me. We all suffer trials, but in this case, he protected the children of Israel. We're going to do something different. If you won't mind reading a little for me, well, let's read responsively. I'll read verse, verse 8, then you read verse Nine And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it towards the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil, breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. Together, and the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. Let's pray, God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world, that everything I say this morning will be what you would want me to say. And Lord, you know each heart here, all of us have different things going on, different questions, concerns, problems, trials, uh, and, and maybe some here today are just praising the Lord for something great. But Lord, we know we gather together in your name, and we ask you to bless this time together. Help me to say what I should say. Speak to hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Several things we're going to look at in the text. First of all, we see handfuls of ashes. I, I, it caused me to think back to the book of Ruth when poor Naomi had lost her husband and her two sons and returned to the Holy Land and began to glean in Boaz's field. And what did he say? Leave some handfuls on purpose. They always spilled some, but to grab individual pieces of grain in the dirt would be challenging. So they left some piles on purpose for Ruth and Naomi. And Ruth, of course, was faithfully gleaning. But this is not, uh, this is not referencing something good. This is a judgment here. Um, I like, you know, uh, Naomi and Ruth. I, I love the Bible saying to us that I've never seen the righteous forsaken, the psalmist said. But in this case, this is a judgment from God, these handfuls of ashes here in verse 8. We know the Lord, that's Yahweh, says to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of the ashes of the furnace. Now, the definite article V is certainly helpful to us there. In the Hebrew, it's talking about a specific furnace. The definite article, the word thee here, is not saying any ordinary furnace. You know, I love what scholars say. One, one writer, A.W. Pink, 
uh, wrote some real interesting stuff, says the furnace was a furnace used to offer human sacrifices to their gods. He thought, how sad is that? For gods that aren't real and they're offering people. And so Pink thinks the definite article points out that, uh, that this is the very furnace that Moses would grab handfuls of ashes and just to rebuke what they do with that furnace and to rebuke their gods. And so it's very interesting. And it says they, Moses scattered the ashes into the air with both hands. He would sprinkle it in the air in verse 8. So here he is taking these ashes in his hands and he's throwing them up in the air. And of course then God takes over, doesn't he? And turns those ashes into mighty particles and millions and millions of them. And these would be blains and boils all over the people. Um, several writers talk about an Egyptian custom of actually burning individuals and taking their ashes and throwing it in the air. So you can see, and they were throwing it to the queen of heaven, the goddess they uh, worshiped, the queen of heaven. So here's Moses now again, throwing these ashes up, and it would certainly rebuke the Egyptian goddess. Her, na her name was Nert, great name. Uh, I thought Nut would have been better, but uh, we know these gods are false. I was reading this week about all the things the Egyptians did back then as far as medical treatments. They did eye surgeries, did some good stuff, but they did some wacky stuff as well. One of the things they did I thought was interesting. If they thought someone had a demon inside of them, they'd actually drill a hole in their skull to let the demon get out. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I wouldn't admit if I did have a demon to go through that thing, uh, drilling a hole in your head. Uh, my dad used to think I at times had a hole in my head, but he never drilled one himself. Um, but we know that uh, they did some weird things. And so here's Moses, and he takes these ashes, and the Bible says in verse 9, it became small dust. Now remember in chapter 8 and verse 16, uh, I think we have that on the screen as well, they took their rod and smote the sand, and, and it became dust, the dust of the earth, and it became a, par a parasite. Remember, we talked about lice and all the different parasites. Here now, this is a different word. These are ashes, and he sprinkles them up there, and, and they all turn into uh, living parasites, not living parasites this time, but boils. Um, several commentaries describe these boils as undescribable because they came from God. Sort of like the wine when Jesus turned the water into wine. They'd never had wine like that. Here's something maybe they'd never experienced. Uh, when I was a kid, I had a boil. I remember that. My mom has a little thing she wrote in my baby book that I said, I don't like Sunday school, I don't like rutabaggies, and I don't like taking a bath. It's probably why I had the boil, you know? Uh, and we were only allowed one on Saturday, so I have to say that was unfair. We had to wash up the rest of the time. But boils are very painful. If you've ever had one years ago, they were more common because we didn't have showers all the time. And, and uh, you know, we didn't have ways to get rid of them. But now not many people have boils. Running water takes care of that. But I had one, and I know they're painful. The word blains here is an interesting Hebrew word. It means burning or inflamed, the word blame. So these boils probably released pus and probably covered the people with, with these terribly burning things. And that caused me to read a little bit about skin this week. Skin is our largest organ. 15% of your body is skin. You have 11 miles of blood vessels, 300 sweat glands per square inch. And here's why I wanted to know about this. Every square inch of your skin has 1,000 nerve endings in it. It's painful to have something happen on your skin. 
And so all the Egyptians had these boils and these blains and, and this all over their skin. And all the, the livestock did as well uh, in Deuteronomy 28, 27. Again on the screen, it says that the Israelites... Once again, when they worshipped idols, would be covered in these boils, and it mentions the boils of Egypt. You know, the Bible says the way of a transgressor, transgressor is hard. The way of a transgressor is hard. I don't know how someone without the Lord can even get through this life in this world. We have the Lord with us, but the things we suffer sometimes, I think of people without the Lord. How do they cope? Well, they cope with drugs and alcohol, you know, infidelity, immorals, immorality, all these different things. And we need to understand that we're going to have bad things happen, but if we live for God, we're still blessed in the end. And uh, the, it says these boils were on the beast, all the animals, not just the cattle, but the household pets and other critters, uh, wild beast, everything had these boils. Remember, it was just the cattle in, uh, in the earlier chapter, in chapter 8. Here, it was on everything. It was the, the, the moraine or the cattle disease earlier in chapter 9, just the livestock had it, the cattle. Here, all the beasts have these boils. Everybody and everything is miserable except Israel because God protected them. And so we think about the handfuls of ashes. We also have to think about the helpless magicians. You know, they, they had already given up before they said this is the finger of God. They no longer challenge God. They've learned clearly that their gods and their magic, they're no, 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 no match for the great God of gods, the Lord, Elohim Yahweh. You know, they, they're no match for him. And so they've already recognized his greatness. These were men who were experts in the horoscope. You know, the 12 divisions of stars called the, called the Zodiac was something back then. And they pointed out signs and, and spoke to people. We understand that. No longer do we get signs from the moon and the stars. But in the tribulation period, they'll come again. Signs will be revealed to the Jews of the tribulation period. Wonderful man, a believer, uh, preached a whole series on uh, how that you know, this next last full eclipse that we're going to have two years ago, that was the Lord's coming, and he pointed out all this stuff. Unfortunately, you cannot apply scriptures uh, from the return of the Lord to the rapture of the Lord, and we can get confused. One day, there will be strange things in the skies and point out that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon, but we'll have been raptured, and the Jews will be looking for those signs, which one day, as I said, will be here again. But these magicians here are just totally helpless. They can't do anything. You know, I struggle when I, as I preach through these plagues. I don't want to be too redundant, so I, each week I find a little something to do different. And so we're looking at John 5 for a few moments. Oh, what a passage that is. Because when I think about the helplessness of these magicians, I think about all the people in this world that are helpless. Our world is full of helpless people. You understand that. There's nothing we can do, you know, for the... For the uh, you know, addict who's addicted to heroin or crack or cocaine. We know those are hopeless situations. We have people with incurable diseases. There's certain cancers, if you get them, they just give you a few months. When my mother got, had kidney failure, I said, well, you can do dialysis, which she at 85 didn't want to start such a, a, a difficult thing. She said, no, I'll, I'll just 
just, you know, just finish without dialysis and she lived six months. They couldn't do anything for her kidneys except pump them out for her. And we think of all the helplessness in our world. Uh, people who are under bridges this morning can't find a job. Maybe they have a criminal record. Maybe they've been a bad worker and made too many mistakes. And they're totally helpless. Sometimes we feel helpless, don't we? Sometimes in my own prayer life, I feel helpless. And I think in John chapter 5, what it must have been like for this crippled man to lay by the pool for all those years. And I'm not even there yet, but I know the passage. And he's laying there hoping when the water moved, uh, he would be carried off into the water. And it never happened for him. And he had been there, coming there for 38 years. Evidently, somebody carried him and dropped him off near the edge for 38 years. Now, there's a lot of scholars say different things about verse 4 here in John 5. Some say that the water didn't really, really wasn't an angel that troubled the waters and there really wasn't healing. They, people just thought that it was a superstition. You know, I don't get into the arguments, but you need to know that has been discussed. And, uh, and another scholar wrote and said, <clears throat> Jesus didn't give credence to the water. He said to the man, stand up and walk. In other words, don't get in the water. I'll take care of you. I don't know all of that. I don't know all the answers. I've studied and studied and studied, and I'm not going to get into that any further, but I know that Jesus did just simply command him to stand up and walk. Amen. And here's a man who is helpless, helpless. And who made a difference in his life? The same one that can make a difference for the homeless man under the bridge, the drug addict, the alcoholic that got saved the night of our little play. It's the work of God that makes a difference in the lives of men. And he's a difference maker. And so he could help a man here who was helpless. Now, what else about this man do we know? Second of all, we know he was hopeless. Well, if you're helpless, you have no hope of getting to the water. 38 years, you get the point. They're not going to help you. They're trying to help their own family. Evidently, he didn't have someone, a family member. Maybe he was alone. I don't know how he got there. Maybe he laid there all the time, just ate scraps. I don't know. But he wasn't just helpless, it was hopeless. He didn't have any hope. Except Jesus. He was hopeless. What else do we know about this man? We know he was worthless. Pastor, wait a minute, you tell us we're the pearl of great price. Yes, in God's eyes we're valuable. We're valuable enough for God to redeem us. But here's a man, according to Jewish society, Jews always pointed to either his sins or his parents' sins. Remember earlier in the chapter, they said, was our, this man born blind because of his sin or his father's sin? And Jesus said, neither, but that I get glory. So this man is considered by Jewish society worthless. They oftentimes wouldn't even want to touch someone like this. Think of that. How worthless can you be? You don't have the Lord in your life. For 38 years, you lay by a pool. No one helps you in, so you're hopeless. And the Jews think you're being judged because of your sin or ancestral sin. And so here's this man, hopeless, helpless, worthless. And along comes the great physician. Don't you love that? Jesus comes by. He knew all about him. He knew all about him. He knew about every day in those 38 years what this man had experienced. And he walks by and he finds this man. 
And he says, stand up. I love that. I love in John, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are coming up the steps of a temple. And there's a crippled man there as well. And they just fasten their eyes on him and command him to stand up. All his life, he was crippled. Somebody carried him, the Bible says, to the steps. All his life in Acts 3, he was like that. And Jesus healed him as well. And the Bible said he jumped up and he, he, he would leap, was leaping up and down. A crippled man. Here's another crippled man. Prior to that, John 5. And helpless, hopeless, worthless. And we find that Jesus, the great physician, is the difference maker. He can heal. He does heal, even today. And he can heal. And more important than that, he heals us from our sin sickness. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. You know what? He knew all about me. And he went to the cross. And there's a song someone has sung a time to do, or two when he was on the cross. I was on his mind. That's so true. Yeah. He thought of all the sinners that needed to be saved. And he died for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2 says. That means he died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died for the apostles John's sin. He died for Peter's sin. Yes, Peter was a sinner. They say he's the first pope and that he, the popes are immaculate. Peter was a sinner. You can find many, many passages pointing out he's a sinner. And he had a mother-in-law, so he had to have been married and all that stuff. He died for Peter's sin, for Paul's sin, for John's sin. Even Nathan, the one without guile, still needed to be saved. And even the Virgin Mary said, my Savior, because she needed to be saved. Every person that's ever lived in the universe needed to be saved. He died for all the sinners of all time. And here he comes along and he helps this man. He changes his life. I love that. Hopeless and helpless and worthless. And then finally, we find a hardened heart. Pharaoh had refused God many times. But in this verse, it says something different. For the first time in these plagues, it says here that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. It's interesting. Well, why would the Lord harden his heart? I mean, he's seen all these plagues. Maybe he now is at a breaking point. It, well, there's several things we know and several things we don't know. We don't know the specifics, but we do know some things that are given to us. We know that God has a plan. And God's timing is all that matters. You know, I sometimes drive to work and I want to get there real early. I'm an early riser. And I think, why at this time in the morning is there an idiot in front of me driving less than the speed limit? <laughs> it's not all about my timing. It's all about God's timing. Years ago, we were traveling, and um, I was complaining because we just weren't making good time, you know, the weather and all that. And I thought, I should be an hour up the road. And then, of course you finally get to the spot where you should have been and there's a car upside down and someone says, well, someone was killed today, a five-car collision, and you're like, I was complaining that I wasn't there. You know, it's not about me. It's not about my timing. My prayers being answered are not about my timing. It's all about his timing and his glory. And it's going to be revealed someday. And so it's not time for the people to be released. God's still going to show them some great things. And that final plague is certainly a type of Jesus, and that would be worth waiting for. Amen? So he hardens Pharaoh's heart. 
One writer said the same sun that nourishes the soil hardens the clay. No man could have resisted God's power. It was more than Pharaoh's pride. It was God's timing. Proverbs 21.1 is on the screen, which says, the king's heart is in the Lord's hand, and he turns it, and I'm paraphrasing, any way he wants to turn it. It's not time yet for Israel to leave Egypt. God's going to work these 10 plagues before everything is right. And boy, is it right when they leave. The Red Sea parts, but think of how the Egyptians treated them, all the things they gave them. How Pharaoh was finally broken to the point where they could get across the Red Sea before he'd harden his heart and send his army. Someone said, well, it was a drought time. The water was only a few inches deep when they crossed. It wasn't really a miracle. Well, how did all the Egyptian soldiers and chariots get buried in water? You know, God's word says it, and I believe it. It happened that way, whether I believe it or not. But here's a hard-hearted man, and, and he, didn't, he didn't submit to God. And this time, God hardened his heart. Why? Because God had a purpose for Egypt that they would understand. And many Egyptians, no doubt, believed in the God of Israel. There's no doubt. We know that even today. There's a pretty good amount of Christians in, in Egypt. But God had a purpose. Do you know God has a purpose for you? I think of the few young people that are here that think they're just going through life and going through the motions and they want to get ahead. and They, they want to pass school. They want to get a job. They want a girlfriend. They want to play sports. God has a plan for you. Amen. Bill Kaiser, a missionary with Campus Crusade for Christ, when I was a young guy, said, let's go to Wendy's. I was already a believer. He gave me this little track, Four Spiritual Laws. It talked about God being on the throne of your life or you being on the throne of your life talked about the importance, and I can't remember all the details, the importance of saying, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. And I remember I prayed that prayer, and I wanted God to be the Lord of my life. I didn't want to be on the throne anymore. Why? Because God's plans are always better than mine, and he had a plan. I wanted to be a professional athlete. Certainly didn't want to cut meat the rest of my life. I wanted to be a professional athlete. Didn't happen. What God's plan? And I probably wasn't good enough anyway. You know, we all think we're a little better than we are. But, you know, I, I had desires and dreams. Didn't happen. Why? He had a plan. And his plan is far better than mine could ever be, even if mine were based on daydreams and, and the visions of whatever. They wouldn't measure up to God's plan for my life. His plan is always the plan. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not. He didn't listen to them. That's a great word. Uh, shofar. Shema, shofar. Shema is the word. Hear, listen, obey. He didn't listen. And to not listen means to not obey because he heard what was said. Maybe today you're here and, and maybe you've battled with some things. Maybe you, you don't know God. And maybe you just tune these messages out and think, well, I'll, I'll do it on my own time. Let me tell you something. When you're under conviction and the Holy Spirit's pointed out that you're a sinner and you need God to save you, that's a good time. That could be the accepted time for you. And maybe today you're fr frustrated with something in your life you feel hinders you. I don't know what it is, but God does. But did you know without him, you're helpless, you're hopeless, and you're worthless. You say, I'm worthless. If you never trust Christ, you live the life in vain. And that's only worth hell. That's why I could say worthless. 
I'm, I'm worth a lot to God. He paid a lot for me. I'm the pearl of great price. But see, I'm saved. I'm a child of God. And if you're saved, you understand how much God loves you and how valuable you are. We're living in a day when we have everybody struggling, feeling bad about themselves. The self-esteem is bad. They tell us that women and, and men all have self-esteem issues. A lady years ago said, I'm really struggling. I just think all the bad things about myself. I think I'm ugly and I'm fat and I'm no good and I'm worthless. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good mother. And she went on and on. And I said, that's typical of what the devil does to us because we are valuable to him if we're saved. And our sufficiency doesn't come from accomplishing something, getting a certificate, graduating, losing weight, or, wear, or wearing different makeup, or getting a different hairdo, or hitting a home run. That's not what does it. Our sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. And I promise you, if you're lost today, he'll save you. And I promise you today that if you allow him to be the Lord of your life, and to get close to God, you'll feel real good about yourself. Because he'll give you a peace and a joy in here that no one can understand except those that have been there and experienced God's grace. It's wonderful when I draw nigh to him. It's wonderful how I feel. I'm not worried about my looks. I'm not worried about things because I know I'm in the center of his will. He holds me in the palm of his hand. He's in control. He's in control of this country and the world. We can talk about all the big things, but he's also in control of your life. He knows every little detail. I dropped my vitamin D yesterday. I looked and looked and looked, finally found it. I thought, wait 20 minutes looking for a vitamin D. What's wrong with me? He knew right where it was, didn't he? God knows what's going on in your life. He knows what you're doing wrong. I tell the young people quite often, be sure your sin will find you out. You'll get caught. Don't hide sin, confess it. But if you don't know the Lord today, Today would be a great day for you to come forward. And if you have some problem you want to pray, feel free to come forward. Our church doors are open every week. But if you have something on your heart, just say, Lord, help me to be in your plan and for you to sit on the throne of my life and make me something special because that's what he wants to do. And his plan is greater than all the plans of the universe combined. He's got a special plan for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for everything you've done, everything you're going to do. I don't know hearts here, but you do. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you or needs to come and pray for any other reason, that you speak to hearts and that we can help minister to them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.